Michael Oshlank here with my friend, mentor, scholar, teacher, activist, uh, Dr. Stuart Savatsky. How you doing, Dr. Savatsky? Hi, Michael. Good. Thank you. Thank Good you. to see you, Stuart. So uh, we've known each other for over 25 years, I believe, and I think it's uh, correct to call you an activist. You've worked on lots of different things, a therapist, a scholar, an author. Um, I've had you on the show before. We've talked about a wide variety of different subjects, inc including Kundalini Yoga, which is one of your topics of scholarship. Uh, today, I'd like to talk to you about how you can make subtle shifts in, in an individual's consciousness through the type of therapeutic interventions that you do that allows one to open their heart and engage a conflict differently or engage in a relationship differently. And I know that you work from a very spiritual, existential perspective, and I'd love to hear how you work with people and how you help them shift and how, how they approach both in themselves, particular conflicts and particular relationships that they're in. Sound good? Sounds very good. Yeah. Awesome. And, uh, it, uh, let me, you know, uh, the key part, I think, always is worth refreshing the, the page when you're approaching a problem is, uh, is to know what the solution looks like. Uh, sometimes problem identification and problem description become such a lengthy project. And in psychotherapy, um, it can become very extensive because there's so much written about pathology that um, the idea of having a very clear view of what would the ideal outcome be uh, may not even emerge very clearly in the sessions. So the first step is to have to put in your own mind put in my own mind which i what's my practice like i say for 40 46 years of my career i'm approaching 70 and i only do a little bit of, of actual uh, conflict resolution and and uh, sessions but uh the in terms of families or marriage counseling um it's lifelong Till death do you part, creative marriage with unconditional love being what the two partners develop over the course of their lifetime together. That's the ideal outcome. It may sound lofty or spiritual. Unconditional love, you know, is a center point to all, all the different religious traditions. And so, but uh, even as lofty as it may seem, that's our first challenge is to completely commit to it that any couple that comes in no matter how adversarial how advanced their situation might be I've had three situations where the divorce had already occurred and they the couple had gotten my name <clears throat> and uh, we're going to try again in which all three of the couples got remarried nice and uh, one of them I'm sure the, the cost of the divorce with large homes that were dissolved and split up was you know between five hundred thousand and and eight hundred thousand dollars of 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 costs that they had to flush down the toilet and say oh my god it was that cost was unnecessary so yeah the first concept or first thing that's different is to have a very clear view of the uh, of the greatest possible outcome no matter what the situation is like i can give you another example which was a a two-generation family of incest. We were 
we had the stepfather um, impregnating his stepdaughter, and now the stepdaughter is raising those children <clears throat> who are now acting out in school. You know, it's like 10 or 10 years later. And uh, this is very complicated situation. Uh, and I said to my intern, which was interesting, I, I did the therapy through, uh, indirectly through an intern, but I said, listen to my, uh, uh, what our goal is, we're gonna have a session with everybody, Ma, the, 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 the stepfather and the daughter, uh, particularly, and we're gonna set it up so that that session ends where everybody is crying in each other's arms and the family is reunited. That's the goal. Everyone else's goal was split up the kids, put them in different foster homes, and uh, this is all that we can hope for. And so with that in mind, I mean, the details are uh, that I, had to help the, the father to be willing to come clean and that the daughter would not would, would take that as more important to have a family than to drag him through the legal system and that was because we were gonna, we were committed to the family having a family for the rest of their their life together with therapy with supervision but that that was the goal from the very first minutes of the first session or, and the preceding setting up of the first session. And two hours later, I wasn't even in the room. It, it took place uh, in, in a different city. That is exactly what happened. They were, the, the family was planning the, a 4th of July family picnic together. And so I, I know this sounds completely outlandish, and that's what we need to be thinking about, is that we have to be committed to solutions because they become so, they sound so outlandish. And I, I it's only now I feel, not only now, in my, a lot of our conversations, I try to bring up these exceptions. I'll tell you the first time that I discovered this, uh, what happens if you focus on very subtle, what everybody wants, in a very conflictual situation, but my, my, I didn't know what I was even doing. I was just starting out. I was a probation officer in Atlantic City in the juvenile court. And one of my, uh, in, one of my probationers had just had been arrested and he was about to be sentenced. And this is an extremely vulnerable and frightening situation. Uh, the, the, from a distance, kids, you know, that are going, getting locked up, we may think of them as pretty tough. But when you're up close to people, like I'm saying, and you see their eyes shuddering, you realize they're not that tough. And they didn't know what they were doing, truly, like uh, Christ on the cross. Forgive them. They know not what they do. They don't know what they're doing. And so I had a, 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 a meeting with the father and son before going into the sentencing hearing. And the, the father was like jittery. You know, he, he loved his son, and yet he was completely exasperated that it, it, it had come to this. And I'm watching them in, in my, my, therapy, my court office, and the, 
the father pulls out a cigarette and starts smoking it nervously. And, and his son says, could I have a cigarette? And the father gives him a cigarette. And then he says, I need a light. And so I suddenly saw this archetypal moment of these two guys sharing a light of a cigarette. And somehow when they, I, I said to the son, the 16 year old kid, can you thank your father for lighting your cigarette? And he did. He said, thanks, Dad. And his father started crying. It's very hard for me to um, tell, tell that story because part of the uh, power is it can't be just a, another story. You have to have your heart available to what these things look like in reality, the, the magnitude of such a father-son situation. You don't, you're seeing your son go to jail at age 16. They feel like utter failure, but you, you're going to stand by him. And you're going to have to go into the courtroom. That's what blew me away. But, and, I, and that's what I went and said. They were, and then the son started crying. And I said, yeah, your father is with you, even in your darkest hour. And then the son started shaking and realizing that we were reviving. I'm drawing a circle around my heart. We were reviving the core. So that, when I saw that, that was around 1975, 74, I can still see that scene in the Atlantic County Juvenile Probation Department office with that father and son. And it still affects me to this day. And that's the most important aspect, you know, because I can feel just after 40 some years, it's just a story or I'm just doing an interview with, with my friend, you know, trying to share what I've learned. I can't summarize. I have to get into the specific detail and the emotional aspect of it. And then uh, say, yeah, when I, after that, I, I, I became eagle-eyed in all my sessions for any quivering where there would be a complete reversal from being a tough kid, a tough guy, or couple that, that are, have high animosity, they're halfway out the door, they're, they're yelling and screaming, you know, to the, as soon as they come in my office, then I can say, you know, you, it blows me away that you're even here, you know, and look at your partner who's, who's even here, you have to admire them, and what all they have to give me or them is a, one second of looking up, and then I see that moment, which is more powerful than all the lawyers and all the bad behavior and domestic violence and whatever it may be. That is the I thou that Martin Buber talked about. He got the Nobel prize as you may uh, have in your memory from, you know, a long time ago. I think it was in the fifties. He wrote the, this book, I, I and thou, in which he said, the main problem is when we become uh, I and it. it, meaning we're just another case, another situation, another uh, divorce, another bad husband, another dysfunctional marriage. There's different ways of losing touch, but the ideal is, is, is what people still can want and have. And so, yeah, this I-thou uh, moment of uh, seeing a couple will, I'll have them say, thank you for coming to the other person. And then to say, I admire, yeah, that you, you were willing to try again. And then the other person will, I'll have them say, 
I'm, yeah, you're, you're welcome. I would tell them what to say. And then they start to get that part of their brain activated where I'll say, yeah, right now, because I had done it for so many years, 30,000 hours, I counted up, of, of sessions and, and group uh, running of groups and so on for over this past 46 uh, years. So I start thinking of all the people that have eke their way out of that dark hole. And I will tell them, yeah, three, three couples can't reverse their divorce. And so they start to see from my track record that I'm completely confident that however, where they start, but I'm not, I know it has to be done moment, moment to moment. And, and as I say, very small steps in which they start to see that just coming to the office is a, a coming out of cynicism. And that you can build a positive conversation in which then get so positive, then you're able to be creative. The blood is now in the frontal lobes of the brain. The adrenaline is not pumping through the bloodstream. Uh, I think of oxytocin, which is sometimes called the love hormone. You know, you have the good chemistry. First, you have to get the good chemistry in the body, which is the opposite of talking about your feelings, the guiding rule. In much of my profession, it's just, what are you feeling now? Talking about the now is very hard to get to a, a high-level resolution. So I'm constantly watching for the smallest glimmer of when that higher level, and having the two people see it in each other, now they're sharing it. The famous maximum, two or more of you are gathered together in, in my name, I will be there. That was the, the Christ's message that there's something quite powerful when two people see each other, seeing each other, having a subtle breakthrough moment. Of course, in the background, I have to have a, a large array of, of solutions and things to try to deal with all their problems. But this is like what we're saying is the breakthrough moment where their hearts move from being closed and pessimistic and, and really antagonistic and hateful and completely fuck you i mean this is not simple like i say the incest family the, when the courts found out about it they couldn't believe it i know that this you know and so but when you start to see it happening and guiding it the two people start believing it but again i'll just kind of pause because i'm curious of your questions at this point but in the background i have to have lots of of hundreds and thousands really of, of examples of how to help people with new information. But the first step is this breakthrough moment that I'm describing. So um, the incest situation aside, because I have kind of an emotional mental reaction to that, and, and I, I don't want to um, bias this conversation through through my lens on that. So maybe we'll just stick with the, the couples, the three couples that you worked through who remarried um, so what I hear you saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, so, and, and I'm kind of reframing part of it, you talk about unconditional love, and it seems like people come in, maybe in this case, couples come in with a conditioned mind, and you see moments in an engagement between them where the condition kind of gets released, and there's an opening, and you take advantage of that opening, not in a bad, like you're taking advantage of someone, but you like, you highlight that brief moment of reconnection between, in this case, a, a formerly married couple, to change their mental state, their emotional state, their spiritual state, so they're then open to other types of interventions to continue to 
enhance that open state so they can work through their problems prefrontally cortex wise, you know, from a higher state with love and care and compassion, as opposed to when most likely they came into the session with, you know, not, not operating out of the prefrontal cortex, operating out more of their evolutionally past parts of the brain, the mammalian neo and the reptilian parts of the brain, anger, stress, fear, f flight, freeze, those kind of responses. Is that accurate? It is. And then, you know, in, in marriage situations where there are children, I have to reverse the, the somewhat the uh, thought form that uh, we shouldn't stay in the marriage for just for the kids. It's very important that, to revive that it is the ideal for kids to grow up in an intact family and that I'm sort of the grandparent figure of saying this can be done. I have to have a certain kind of a family prototype that I'm in, in, in which we do want the, the children to have two parents. And that, that the and so I, that's just an important thing for me to add in. There's many things I could add in, but I did want to take a moment and add that in when there are uh, little kids involved, uh, or even uh, adults for that matter, adult children. Okay. So you create the opportunity for them to kind of almost self-reflect and see it slightly, even if it's for a moment, a new way of seeing their partner, which is most likely an old way of seeing their partner. Because at one time they saw their partner in that same light before all the kind of went down the shitter. So you're kind of reminding them of what brought them together in the first places, right? Right. And then I start saying things that came with lots of decades of experience, I can say it's a lot easier to solve this particular problem than it might turn out to, if you divorce and you have to have kids. And, and like I say, when, when children are present, it's a very different situation in my mind. So, so you, you see the opportunity to highlight a slight opening because you'll, you'll see something happen in their face, their eyes, their body language. How do you work with them to keep that that opening open so it doesn't just shut back and they go back to their old bad habits? Yeah, yeah. It, some of it is the use of irony because I can early on say, you know, I, I might say, well, what did you, or the, the example I just gave you, can you thank your partner for coming? And, and I'll try to pick the one that would be more likely to say it first. And, and one will say, yeah, thank you for coming. And then I'll see a little smile on the lips. And then I'll say, oh, take a look. All you did was thank your partner for coming. And you can see they're starting to open up a little bit. Can you thank that partner for letting it in? Yeah, thank you for letting it in. And then I do, this sounds very strange, but I have the other partner say, you're welcome. And they, they laugh, people laugh. But these are the markers of being in a respectful conversation. And that it, that the first step has gone well. And then if they smile a little bit, I'll say, oh, look, you, you smiled in, in, in the midst of even this very difficult situation. You know, where did that come from? And, uh, and then they'll smile even more. And then I'll say, well, let's continue on. You know, maybe say what kind of courage does your partner possess that they came? Well, yeah, it, it, I think it does take, take courage, you know, to come. We, we, we struggled and now he's here. You know, and then, I'll, and then I'll see another glow on the other spouse. And uh, I'll say, that's a compliment. Look at the impact your comp, and then I'll had on your spouse. Then I'll have that spouse say, thank you, and say a few words about what's it like being admired. Tell me, the, you know, the, 
even if, if you focus only on that, I enlist their ability to focus as well. Keep a very narrow focus on what we're doing. When, when you receive that compliment, can you say how it made you feel good? So it's a very leading question. So that's another level of this process. First is observational. And beyond that, before that is high level faith and ideal outcomes. But also is the linguistics, which uh, I've just dropped one name, of Ludwig Wittgenstein, who is my main influence on philosophy of language and how language works. So I'll tailor a question. Yeah, can you say how, in what way did that make you feel good hearing that? And the person will say, yeah, it's been a long time since I've been, you know, been able to do anything right or hear those kind of words. And then I'll say, can you thank her? That was not easy for her either because she's opening up positivity towards you. You've got to admire that. You know, that's not so simple to give a compliment. A lot of something, and then I may step back. Some, some won't do it. Some say, I won't do it. I just won't do it, Dr. Zabotsky. So I'd want you to know your, your partner did do it. And, and, and then that person starts to learn that the small thing that happened, it has great magnitude. And so they'll say, yeah, I, I agree that it did take a lot of courage on your part to reopen and, and see something in me. And it's, I can feel myself. And then I'll switch it back to the woman or the other side. Say, wow, yeah, you're really following the doctor's guidance. And I, that's because you hope, you have hope. And then, uh, and then uh, it, 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 the, you know, the particulars start unfolding. And, and so what we're really doing is, yeah, like answering your question, it, 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 it doesn't matter what the content is. It can be very trivial, just the coming to the office and the courage behind that. And then the gratitude for being seen as a courageous person. And then the power of being, being powerful by merely doing some, of giving a very small compliment. It, it, it's bigger than you thought. The consequences are much bigger than the, the partners believe. And so that's when I can say, this has been the first five minutes of the session, and look where we are. And then I'll say, I'm sure you've been in other sessions where you've talked about the problems. You don't get to this point in five minutes. So what I want to tell you is, by the end of this session, we're going to be in an extremely different, 10 times longer from now, you're going to be in an extremely different place. If, and all that we're trying to do is learn how to stay attuned to how progress actually unfolds. It's very subtle, it's very quivery and emotional, and it requires a lot of admiration and studying and acknowledgement. And so the people start doing that. They start doing the path of, of progress. And we, we don't talk about the problems until either the last 10, 20 minutes possibly, or the next session. Because you, it's like, I think of it as a, like a surgeon wants to clean the surgery operating room. You want it sterile before you open up the body. And my colleagues like have a different metaphor. They, they want to jump in and open everything up and have people just you know, say what they want to say. But I like to have this other metaphor. You want to clean the environment so that they can make real heart-to-heart -heart contact, I-thou. Rather than I it, I it, I it, 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 and then they're, of course, anyone would get a divorce from a situation like that. It's completely starving of any humanity. They're just throwing mud at each other. So, yeah, that's the first phase. So, I hear uh, three streams going into your sessions. Um, one, I would, I would call them like the neurophysiological phase, where you're um, helping by helping them 
smile. They're actually changing their mental and emotional states and physiology, reducing the st release of stress hormones, increasing prefrontal cortex activity. I have to imagine smiling also increases oxygenation of the body, so you're also reducing stress there. You talked about uh, use of language, the leading use of language, like how does that make you feel good or better or, or something that's more positive? So you're also shifting from negative, which they've been in that loop for days, weeks, hours, months, years, or however long they've been in that state. So you're shifting their, their mental state of how they think about stuff in a more positive direction. And then the third stream is you are reconnecting them in, the, in this way before even approaching whatever the problem might be, which is unique in and of itself, as you've already mentioned, because most people will jump right into the problem. How do you solve the problem? But when you start articulating the problem without having helped the clients change their mental and emotional states, then they're going to come into the conflict the same way they come to the conflict all the time, conflicted. <laughs> so those three streams coming together sound like an amazing way of helping people shift how they work with one another, live with one another, and love one another. Exactly. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that it's easy for you to put it together so clearly myself. Because uh, it is a very simple process. And, and remember, uh, preceding it is this belief that the ideal, the ideal outcome is actually easier to, to achieve than, than these uh, lower level outcomes of most of the time. You know, there are definitely some situations of divorce uh, where uh, they, need, they need it really. Uh, so it's not 100%, I would say 80%. 80% of, of divorces are probably uh, could, could be uh, made into happy marriages. So if, if you were uh, consulting with an individual who wanted to change the way they approach their marriage or, or a particular relationship they're in, and you don't necessarily have their spouse in there with you, so they're only a symbol in, in the conversation with you, what um, capacities might you help the individual build so then they can take this approach when they're actually having a conversation with their partner. Because it sounds like awareness is the first, is one of the first keys in this. Changing mental and emotional states, awareness, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a wide range um, of first sessions, second sessions with one partner only. Depends on, uh, you know, uh, like affairs. Affairs are a big problem in, in marriage counseling, maybe one of the most severe, you know. So if I'm seeing one, the, the, the offender, the, uh, I might, you know, say, look, at, I'm going to support you, but I, it's going to be a lot of space giving to your partner because it really drives the person up. You know, they, get, they don't know what's real. They thought everything was, you know, monogamous, and now they find out that this other this affair was going on, you know. So you're going to really, I'm going to, you have to give give space, and I'm going to help you regain your good name, but part of it will be in recognizing the anguish that you that came from the affair that you you were in a bubble, and you weren't aware of it because you're in your bubble. And now you're going to have to kind of see that it has way bigger consequences than you may have thought. But as you do that, I will, you will, I will help your partner see how you're, you love, you're caring. You are not, you're being empathic. You're taking responsibility and you will rebuild yourself and the unconditional love will come from it. And you'll, it'll be very odd, but this will become something it's not that you're totally proud of, but you'll be proud 
that you got through it, both of you. And so I'll try to, that's just in the affair situation, that something, if it's not that kind of a situation, if it's just arguing and so on, then uh, both are somewhat equal in the situation. And I would be, you know, saying, um, look at, you know, there's a wide range still of, of hearing the person out and then giving, and then, we'll, you know, I'll, oh, she won't touch me if she pushes me away. And I'll say, well, imagine if, if she learns to touch you. Wouldn't, you know, so I try to find the negotiating part that the person's looking for and introduce it. Yeah, that we're going to include that. Or you want to be able to talk peacefully with one another. You want to be able to, and, and then I'll say it turns out to be very simple. When if I, you'll see it, you know, if, if I have you each saying thank you and you're welcome after each interaction, even to harsh statements, thank you for telling me. Tell me more instead of how could you say that? You know, what about you? You do the same thing. What about you? You know, instead of saying that those kinds of reactivities, you say, thank you for telling me. That was hard to say. And I'll have your partner say, wow, you're, you're very welcome. And, and that was very hard for, for, uh, for you to do, to hear me without reacting. I don't think that came easy. And even if uh, 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 Dr. Savatsky coached you, you were willing to do it. So it shows, you know, so I, I can kind of. one of the uh, couple coming in for a session, I can have them see how this would go. And they start feeling, uh, oh, I, can, I want to bring my partner into that. And they, when they go home and tell their partner, they can say, really, you have to come and see this guy. This, is, this guy's different. And so that's, in a nutshell, like I say, it's a broad range of possibilities, but that's a couple of responses. So what I hear you saying is one of the things you help a client get into is a non-reactive state and operating out of not, not non-reactive to their typical MO of how they, re, how they react to, you know, you know, conflict, but it's not neutral. It's uh, kind of higher ordered from a spiritual apologetic thankfulness, gratitude place. Are there practices that you would have a client do on their own to help generate that space more often? Like I, you're, you're a scholar of Kundalini yoga. You've studied the yoga system for 50 some years, a long time. So are there even practices either within the yogic system, which you can help clients keep, you know, create that space in themselves, higher ordered space, or even from the Western uh, psychotherapeutic paradigms that you've, you integrate into your work with an individual. So they, they're not reactive, they're responsive, but they're responsive from a higher-ordered, compassionate, caring space. Yeah, it's, it's again, it's a very simple answer. Um, you, you know, instead of coming from a higher space, which is you're kind of introducing the topic, it turns out to be very mundane. I say the main practice is listen, so the first thing that you will say authentically is thank you for telling me. Okay. And so thank you for inviting me onto your show for like the third or fourth time. You know, thank you for 20 plus five years of, of knowing each other. And really thank you for the work that you do that I kind of get glimpses of from here and there. You know, if you can imagine, yeah, we've kind of grown 25 years older together. 
And yeah, I was in the middle of my career when we started and now I'm basically retired. I'm not looking for clients. I'm not, I'm talking about old activities for hopefully some a younger therapist will be interested in this, but really, you know, I do want to thank you and it's been a blessing to have you in my life with continuity, continuity. You can't get it anywhere else, but living through it. And believe me when you're, as you keep getting older and older, you know, your high school friends mean more. Your college friends mean more and students that you were with decades ago that you're still in touch because this is the meaning of our lives, at least the social part. And it's, it is spiritual because we only have one life. And Buddhism teaches a lot about uh, the spirituality of time. The whole enlightenment of Buddha was about impermanence. And when Buddha saw, you know, if you know the story, he, he saw a sick person and then he saw a dying person and an old person and a corpse and he, he, he his heart just burst open because he saw as a young kid wow this is the end and he never forgot it so time is all we have and and, and that's like i say i'll have clients thank each other just for coming why because they've already given the spiritually ultimate thing their attention their hopefulness and their time and in our relationship yeah it, it can't be replicated <laughs> I, love, I, I love I love the reframe because you're you're the way I'm hearing you is you're pretty much making the spiritual not something that's lofty out there up there deep in there it's more like everyday the possibility of everyday interactions from a heartfelt space with another human being exactly the, the main challenge is to keep doing it once one uh, side of the interaction to the other in, in a dialogue you know, which meditation, meditation, people, I think they put far too much energy on to following their own breath compared to how little energy they put on following the logic of a positive conversation going back and forth. Hmm. If, if people were if following the breath is mysterious because you realize you're not, it's not your ego. It's, it's breathing. It's a miracle how the breath breathes. But likewise, if we were equally attentive to, receiving a compliment and then saying thank you and then the other person saying you're welcome and seeing the next smile that then is generated and saying wow that made you smile and I said you're welcome and then it said yeah wow you saw me smile when, when I heard you say you're welcome well that makes me smile again and now I see a twinkle in your eyes and it's like you lost five years of your age and the other one said, really? Yeah, 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 really. And then, and then they beam, and then the other one beams. Says, yeah, wow. And then you get into what we would call tantra. I would use the Sanskrit. Tantra really just refers to reverberation. Buddhism was a, more of a linear uh, understanding of a kind of a breakthrough state. And then you're on that enlightenment from, from henceforth uh, in, in, into the, how fragile impermanence is. And that's where we live our lives. It, uh, uh, you know, it's the, it, it's not a, it's the a loss of attention into the next moment that derails us from progress. Particularly when the progress is happening, if we yeah but, and go off to the side for any reason, the, the, the mediator's job is to bring it back and say, we'll talk about that later. But right now, it's staying on on track with what is unfolding now, and so that. Uh, go, exceeds mo what, we, what most of us uh, is understood in Buddhism as a breakthrough state 
that's sort of supposed to stabilize. Uh, and, and what Tantra contributes to it, it, is, uh, in any of these Eastern traditions is know that you, if you keep looking, reverberation now begins. It's not constant. It can, the, the breakthrough state is really endless. If you watch the next moment and, and participate in it, like what I'm saying, very mundane ways. Thank you. You're welcome. Wow, look at how you look when I thank you. Well, look at how you look when I say you're welcome. And Wow, now you're smiling. Now your eyes are twinkling. And now I can say, oh, why don't you give her a kiss? Believe me, these are couples that are not that happy. <laughs> but if, I've, if I'm good at what I'm describing for even 5 to 10, 12 minutes, it's I have to be sarcastic. It's pathetic how near at hand these breakthrough uh, reversals of divorce really is. It's the ability to follow that positive for me and then to guide them to do it with each other and give them things to say. That's the meditation. That's the, like we're saying, that's the spirituality. Why? If they have kids, we're, 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 we're giving them a, a, a home to grow up in. That used to be a spiritual phenomenon, a concept, home. Martin Heidegger, if you know his work, it was, that was a big cornerstone of his work. He saw the humans build homes. This is where they take care of their life, where they live and they die. It's pretty spiritual. It's what goes on in the home, in marriage, the creating of life. We no longer think of it as, very, as a spiritual thing. So that had to be revived, too that it's not reproduction. The old word was procreation, that we're channels of creating life. And that's why it's worth and very inspirational when children are involved to, to, to be grateful for that and to learn these simple things of, yeah, it's very spiritual. All of it turns out that, to be contradicting one of my big observations is this uh, transpersonal psychology and thinking of spirituality as a breakthrough meditation, a lot of it was just that LSD was the catalyst of the 60s. And LSD is a very arbitrary way of having that experience. It's, you take a pill and an, an hour later, your, your mind is completely altered. But it can also happen in an ordinary mundane way by people learning to be very respectful and grateful for each other until, yeah, it becomes the way of life. That's another interesting fact is this method is easily able to be Im embedded into the way you live. You know, you constantly listen. So the first thing you say is, thank you for inviting me onto your show. Thank you for, for creating the, your, your, you know, your beautiful marriage and your amazing work in, in Washington. You know, you're an incredible human being. I had no idea that how your life would unfold, Michael. 25 years ago. You, you, know, you really do. You blow me away. What happened in your life? You know, you just keep doing wonderful things. And they're not easy. You know, transpartisan is not that simple. That's where the solutions would be, is if you can get those guys to love one another and let, let it out, it's going to be different. Particularly well, now. The politics now are right. Yeah. You know, because our, our president was elected by, however, pretty close to 50%. You know, he, a lot of people believe in him. It's not just him. You know, it's the whole country could be brought together if people would believe each side, you know, instead of fighting. You know, and look at the, at the, at the bright side wherever they can and then build from it, whether it's low unemployment or, or creating better treaties or 
trade and uh, agreements with other countries. You know, you, it works just as well to see people's positive intentions on the big stage as it is to see in a marriage on a one-to-one. -one. Just to see that you came to the session is a positive motivation, a positive intention. You can't deny it. And a few people may try to deny it. Oh, he's only here because I dragged him here. And then I'll say, thank you for dragging him here. But guess what? He, he, his two feet came in the door. And that's what we're saying. Thank him for, keeping, for agreeing to be dragged here. You know, and what I'm kind of conveying, obviously, is my mood. It doesn't throw me because it is a spiritual situation. It, it's not the LSD, you know, out of your mind, which largely happens in monastic settings that breakthrough for thousands of years. Or they're meditative, they're very religious couples, you know, in different other cultures of India and Southeast Asia. Here, it's daily life. They're not that involved in those kinds of practices. So, yeah, this is a matter of letting it in that they did far more than they thought when they got married or when they conceived children. So my job is to resurrect the spiritual meaning or existential meaning, the courage to have a family, the courage to create children, the uh, uh, magic of giving birth. You know, every step of their lives has to be re-inspected for, you could say, spiritual or poetic meaning. And then teach them, this, these are the eyes to look out of at the rest, through the rest of your life. It's not a drug, it starts to look like a drug eye. Everywhere you look is like God. It's God trying to have hope and faith in this marriage and to learn new ways of functioning. And it could be a cessation of alcohol, if that's a problem, or getting a job and pulling a couple out of poverty. You know, uh, there's lots of, yeah, real life challenges, but they're going to go through it together. Wow. Stuart, uh, great to see you. Great to uh, have you impart your wisdom. I always learn uh, tons when, I, when, I, when we have these conversations, and I've been fortunate to have had these conversations with you almost 25 years. Uh, I can remember the first uh, series of conversations coming to your office in uh, San Francisco Bay Area, bringing client work to you and getting your perspective on, on kind of the existential spiritual approach, which you are discussing with us now on how to work with clients. And um, ever since then, <laughs> you know, just kind of integrating your thinking into my own work. And you'll be happy to know um, in the transpartisan space and the retreats that I used to help organize, um, one of the things we would do before we even started talking about the issues, it, and I, I like to refer to it as humanizing the political process, we, we'd have exercises by professional mediators on getting people together from all across the political spectrum, um, developing the relationship, getting to know one another, getting to know why they believe what they believe, removing the caricature of the other person, the other side or the other sides. And once you kind of have a heartfelt connection with the other person, you can hear them. You, you hear differently, you see them differently, and it actually creates a space for new ideas to emerge in a conversation. So, you know, your work has influenced my, not only my work when I was practicing as a therapist and now as a coach, but also has influenced my work in the transparency space over the years too. So I thank you for that. It's beautiful to hear. Yeah, we need lots of examples on front pages of newspapers of instead of conflict, every newspaper is either liberal or conservative and they're fighting. 
and to have uh, uh, admiration from one party to the other uh, for one issue of the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or something, where they, they completely admire the, the so-called opposing party for what they believe in. If they did two or three in a row like that, and people listened and believed that it wasn't just you know BS, that they're really being appreciated. Yeah, what I was saying about gun violence, because I uh, before we went on the air, that yeah, I had a situation of disarming a guy that was uh, making claims he's gonna shoot people. That was very frightening. It was real bullets, real gun, and people wanted to have this person incarcerated. And I said, no way, I'm gonna do this the way that I had in mind. And uh, yeah, he uh, had a huge breakthrough at the end and started weeping instead of being violent and said, you know, wow, you mean shooting another person is like killing, shooting myself, just another me. And I said, yeah, yeah, these people, they're just people. You know, and so if you start to break it down, like you were saying, if, uh, yeah, our, 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 if the liberals and the conservatives could feel the same grief over the same troubles and woes for a, a, a week without getting out of it, without having to solve it, it would be so rehumanizing. People would feel it. This is different. It's outside of the box. So thank you for your profession. Thank you for doing <laughs> Thank you for your support of my profession. Uh, Dr. Sue Savatsky, how, how can folks learn more about your work, your books, your teaching? Uh, well, you have my spelling of my name. So Facebook is the way that I do any teaching and communication. Advanced Spiritual Intimacy is my popular book, which includes a lot on yoga and a lot on couples. And my book, Words from the Soul, is an academic book with the State University of New York. And that gets into uh, the linguistics and uh, and Harvard, well, I should say, put a little plug in. Harvard has been reviewing a reissue since the summer. They haven't said no. I, I think they're still reviewing it. Uh, and if that happens, because that's the only way I would redo it, is if a, big, a bigger press took it on. But, yeah, you should take a look at Words from the Soul. Awesome. We'll make sure to include uh, links in the show notes to your books on Amazon and other places and also a link to your Facebook page so people can track your conversations. Stuart, you great to see you, and I look forward to another conversation in the near future. Thank you, Michael. Bye-bye.